Woody Womack here, joined by every single Rivals national analyst, uh, Brady Bunch style. Uh, I guess we should do intros right off the top. We'll start with Sam Spiegelman. Sam, how are you? Doing great, man. How you doing? Good. Sam covers uh, Texas, Arkansas, Louisiana, and Oklahoma. Wasn't around when we ranked these draft players, but uh, he can still pretend like he knew everyone was going to be good uh, way before they were. Uh, to my right, uh, Adam Gorney, national analyst, West regional analyst. Adam, what, which states are you responsible for as re relates to this draft? I forget. I forget. Uh, <laughs> California, Hawaii, Oregon, Washington, Utah, Colorado, Arizona, New Mexico, Idaho, and some would say Montana, although Josh Hemholt should take Montana over for me. All right. Uh, also on Chad Simmons. Uh, Chad, uh, you also weren't with us w during the time of this draft, but of course you were ranking players from where? Georgia, Florida, Alabama, Mississippi? Yeah, you know, yeah, like Tennessee, Louisiana, Arkansas, the Carolinas, you know, back then. So okay. now to have it down to what, three states with rivals, that's great. <laughs> All right, and below me, Mike Farrell, National Recruiting Director, can take credit for everyone, can also take blame for everyone. I take credit for everybody and just blame you guys for the bad ones. Uh, Josh Helmholt, who covers the Midwest. Josh, I think you're, you were – were you ranking Oklahoma during this time too in addition to all those other states? No, I think Oklahoma came in after this. So I, I ranked Oklahoma maybe the last three classes, but now Sam Spiegel has. Okay, but every, everywhere else in the Midwest. And then in the bottom, Rob Cassidy. Rob, you were ranking, I think, Florida, Alabama, Mississippi. Alabama, Mississippi. Yeah, I had Cam Akers. Okay. And then on the on the bottom, Adam Friedman, who was ranking the Mid-Atlantic. Uh, I'm trying to – is Pennsylvania included? I never know, Friedman. It is, yeah. So I got – at that time I had Virginia North up the coast plus West Virginia and Pennsylvania. All right. And I was ranking during this time Georgia, Tennessee. Uh, I also did for some of these guys, uh, Florida, Alabama, Mississippi and everything. So we're just going to run through player by player, kind of have a free flowing conversation here about the NFL draft and what we remember, what went right, what went wrong. So let's start with Joe Burrow, number one pick, most likely uh, Heisman Trophy winner, kind of came out of nowhere, given the way his career started. We ranked him as a three star, 5.7, lower than some other people. Uh, Mike, let's start with you. What do you remember about Burrow and, and what happened with his ranking? It was a solid quarterback. In, in, in person showings, I think we saw him once at a camp, and he was, you know, a big kid, had, a, had an okay arm, but really not refined at all. Um, and I'm not sure if that's me not going or not. I don't think it is, but. Um, you know, it took him a long time to develop, obviously, and now he's number one pick in the draft. So it's it's tough to project these kids sometimes. But uh, I didn't see anything that year on film or in person that led me to believe that he was going to be the number one pick in the NFL draft. Uh, Josh, you got to see him a ton, uh, up close and personal, uh, in camps. And I don't know if you ever saw him play on a Friday night, but I mean. What do you think? Uh, did you ever see it perhaps playing out to this scenario with this high of a ceiling for the way Burrow has, has ended up? I'm so glad we're starting with the first, you know, 
pick of the draft, which always reflects so well on me with being Joe Burrow. These are questions I've had to answer a lot more here lately. Uh, he was a guy, and for all those people who say you got to go to a rivals camp to get a rating from rivals, he went to a rivals camp. Uh, not he was a guy who the whole was greater than the sum of the parts. He was a very football high football IQ guy his dad was a coach a reason why he was in Athens Ohio's because his dad was coach at the Ohio University he always had those intangibles but from a skill set standpoint he, he was a dual threat but not particularly dynamic as a runner just a tough kid who you know had a little bit of athleticism to him but the, as a as a passer it was probably the one area that held him back in our ratings which when you look at it from what he did this past season, where he was one of the most efficient passers to ever play the college game, that certainly was not part of our projection. He was not a guy who, you know, you'd stand there and you, know, you see a lot of these quarterbacks, they throw a beautiful football. That was not really Joe Burrow in high school. He didn't throw a lot of spirals. Uh, you know, he didn't change velocity exceptionally well, but he, uh, certainly has been able to develop during the course of his college career to where those issues that he had in high school uh, were gone. Now, it took five years, I think. I mean, obviously, when he was at Ohio State, lost a couple of uh, position battles to some four-star guys. Uh, but no doubt in that, you know, he was a clear-cut Heisman Trophy winner. I think, you know, rightly the clear-cut number one pick in this, this draft. Now, Rob, I think you were at Semper Fi that year. Do you rem do you even remember seeing him at that uh, All Star game? Yeah, I do. Uh, sorry, I'm still happy at Josh that he didn't throw a lot of spirals. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, I do vaguely. Uh, for whatever reason, I remember Michael McGlinchey from that game more than I do Burrow. I think they were both in the same game. Um, I I was usually if you walk away from one of those events and you don't really have a strong take, it means the guy didn't particularly strike you as good or awful. Uh, so I would say, I, you know, I wasn't struck either way by him. I don't really remember much of the day-to-day from Burrow out there. All right. So, yeah, I mean, like Josh said, he went to, he went to Ohio State. He, was, he never really was in the mix there. I, I mean, I think Urban Meyer said he was. The one thing I wanted to talk about, Josh, with you one, real quick before we wrap up on Burrow, there's talk of how, how bad he wanted to go to Nebraska. We know his dad was an assistant there. Is that overblown? Did he really – did Nebraska really tell him, you know, we don't want you, like, like people often say, especially uh, given his – you know, he went to the portal and he didn't end up in Nebraska again. What's your take on that? I think, I think it's embellished a little bit or the, you know, people look at – they want to use that as a negative on Nebraska, but – uh, no, there's some truth to it. Uh, it's probably not as in the, in the time, you know, I don't think I never got the sense from him that he was, you know, Nebraska was uh, heads and tails where he had to go. If that option became available, it was an automatic commitment. Uh, so I think a little bit of it is embellished, but uh, there's definitely some truth, some kernels of truth there with Nebraska just didn't see him as a fit for what they were looking to do. All right, let's uh, move on from Burrow. The number two likely pick, former five-star Chase Young. This is a guy we had ranked in the top ten, a guy who never came to any camps. We didn't have a chance to see. Uh, Adam Friedman, you had a chance to see him up close and personal, uh, especially on Friday nights, and, of course, we all saw him in the All-Star game. Uh, but talk to us about why you made that push for him to be five stars and when you kind of knew that he was going to be uh, a special talent. 
Yeah, it was pretty evident early on. Um, I saw him when he was at his first high school, St. Vincent Pilate in uh, Laurel, Maryland. Uh, big kid. He had a basketball background. We really liked the way he moved on the field, but he really excelled once he got that position training and, and really focused his efforts on the football field. I saw him a number of times in practices and games. I think he did one a uh, couple of other camps during the offseason leading into his senior year. Uh, but a guy who was kind of one of those no-brainers, you see him, you you watch his film for maybe a minute or two, and you're like, oh, yeah, this is kind of one of those alpha-type alpha, alpha type players. He played on a team with a lot of really good players, uh, but you could tell that he was one of those guys that just stood out, and, and it was it was not a hard sell to, to make him a five-star once everybody got a look at him. Uh, for the guys that were at the Army All-American game that year, what, what were your memories of him? I mean, we look back at the video – and he's going against a lot of first-round picks and stuff like that, and he's dominating. So I think, Josh, you were there. Gorney, were you that year as well? Yeah, I was there that year. Super aggressive kid. Like Friedman said, just kind of an alpha male that wanted to attack everybody. He kind of reminded me, I think, a little bit of William Anderson this year. Just a guy that wanted to take every rep, wanted to prove himself and get after it. So he was uh, clearly an athletic kid and a physical kid, someone that definitely stood out and more than backed up that five-star ranking. Uh, Mike, what, what, were, what do you remember? I mean, was it a slam dunk to make him a five-star? Because sometimes a guy like him, it, that we don't all see it, it makes it a little harder. So, so what do you remember about his process? No, he was a slam dunk. I remember when I first watched his film, um, you know, Friedman was raving about him. And then, uh, you know, I watched his film, and it was clear that he was just a, an outstanding physical specimen, great outside pass rusher, tremendous motor, wasn't the friendliest kid in the world, remember, Friedman? Yeah, you know, he, he's one of those guys who was extremely focused on his craft and didn't have a lot of time for the recruiting process, talking about the recruiting process, and, and just all of the, the shenanigans that goes on around uh, players these days. He but hated uh, He hated the recruiting process. He definitely did. But, um, you know, being, you know, here in the DMV, uh, D Washington, D.C. area, you know, he always had people around him who were kind of his inner circle, people who he could trust, people he relied on. And there were a few coaches who, who really kind of helped take them. You know, they really took him under their wing and helped him through the process. Uh, but he was looped in with a lot of guys who were familiar with the process, even from the basketball side, too. So, he, he definitely had a lot of information at his disposal and um, was going to, you know, really just stay focused on achieving his goals. Is anyone else? He wasn't pushed. It, the more they push in Maryland, D.C., sometimes the, 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 the more questionable the player is. And Chase Young was – Well, I think that goes for every state. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I like to just focus on Maryland, D.C., because they do pump <laughs> up some kids, especially D.C., and um, – you know, this kid didn't need any of that. Um, you know, so it wasn't one of those things where we saw him and he was like four and then we just get hammered, hammered, hammered. And then you keep watching him and watching him and you're like, oh, yeah, maybe he's a five. He was a five from the start. Didn't need any of that publicity or press or anything like that. And, you know, sometimes the kids who hate the recruiting process are the, are the best ones. Um, I'm not saying that kids should hate the recruiting process because we'll be out of jobs. But, um, you know, Jonah. Uh, was it Jonah Williams? Gordon? Yeah. He hated the recruiting process. He turned out to be pretty good, too. So sometimes these Jerry guys, Judy, sometimes also on that list. 
and the Boza brothers. At least Jerry Judy. Oh God, yes. Yeah. You know. Yeah, and Bosa's. We, and we can segue into Jerry Judy now if you want to. If you want to talk about the wide receivers, or you can go back to quarterback. What do you? Uh, we can go back three. I, I wanted to say that Chase is another tough one for the you have to go arrivals camp and get ranked crowd. Yeah, that was a tough one. He's the number two player in the country. Crazy. All right, we can talk about Jerry Judy next. Uh, this was a guy, he may have not liked the recruiting process from a standpoint of like doing interviews and stuff like that, but I mean, he was an ultimate competitor. This was a guy that would show up to anything, anytime, anywhere, and, and yeah. go over and over again. So, Rob, t tell us what you remember. Because I think Judy was kind of on the scene by the time you came to Florida because he was known as, a, as an underclassman. What do you remember most about him? I remember the first time I met him thinking, this kid is impossible to talk to. Like, it was like talking to a wall. He was a very, very, very shy kid, not comfortable at all with interviews, uh, which is different because a lot of these Florida kids have a little bit of swagger to them, and they'll talk to you, and they'll chat you up. Judy was reserved. Uh, he had just transferred high schools. I think when I got here, he'd gone from Monarch to Deerfield Beach. Uh, and our thing with Judy was we had him as a, a very high four, I think, for most of the time, a 6.0. Um, because in games, they didn't really have a quarterback at Deerfield to get him the ball. So we loved him at camps, but the question mark was he doesn't really do it in games as much. Uh, and then his senior year, he started to. Uh, I think that's kind of what put us over the edge. I think maybe in the second to last update, we made him a five-star, and I don't think anybody regrets that. Uh, just the separation he could get, I think, was the calling card. Because we'd see him line up at elite camps against elite DBs. I mean, you name them, uh, even younger guys like the Patrick Sertans of the world and guys in Florida. And the separations that he would get from those guys uh, consistently, I think kind of blew you away. And we moved him up before All-Star season. It was actually after the five-star challenge. Um, Cause I remember it was in Atlanta that year and he was so dominant in the early one-on-ones. He was just by far the best route runner and, and guy for separation. And then he kind of, disappeared a little bit in the seven on seven and that's of course quarterback generated you know uh it depends on your quarterback's vision and i don't think he was on a very good seven on seven team i think he was on the the famous worst seven on seven team of all time that i drafted that didn't <laughs> win a game was that the the team wearing white yeah it was him nate craig myers i mean yeah. it was just a disaster i don't think they, they might have scored one touchdown in four games they were horrible but i remember having the discussion about Zuby <laughs> in between the the one-on-ones and the little break that the kids got before the seven on seven, and we talked about it, we're like, wow, this was one of the best performances we've seen in a very long time from a receiver as far as polished and able to set people up. And it almost seemed like he could do it when he wanted to, and he didn't always yeah. want to. You know, like when he wasn't involved in the seven on seven, he's like, yeah, you know, whatever. I'm still great. Um, but yeah, I remember the, the moment that, that I saw him and said, you know, okay, let's discuss this. And, and it was that June. We moved him up, and it kind of worked out pretty well. So, yeah, it worked out darn well. So I remember seeing Judy in a – I met Judy with – he was on the same team with Calvin Ridley and his brother, Riley. And Lots of Jerry, talkers there, huh? Right, and Jerry Judy. And I remember Calvin, yeah. I, I remember meeting them in a parking lot at some – like a Miami Dolphins 7-on-7 seven to do interviews. And, I mean, it was just torture <laughs> trying to get anything I – mean, of, but think yeah, about that. The Ridleys, team. man. The Ridleys were the same way. Right. But think about that. High, there was a high school team that had two first-round picks, and I think what was Rid the other Ridley, a third-round pick? I mean, how did they not win the stage? <laughs> and they didn't win the state championship. <laughs> I don't even know if they made the playoffs. You know, you know who else was on that team? It was a freshman Greg Russo from Miami. Oh, uh, yeah. So, I mean, what an insane <laughs> – 
what an insane team. But uh, yeah, Judy was Judy would go there were if you remember there was a clip from him from like Friday Night Lights at Florida's camp where he just went. Yeah, everybody knew he wasn't going to Florida, but he went to the camp anyway, I think for a visit. Then he decided to work out and there was like a viral video of him just roasting kids during one on ones. Do you guys remember that clip? Yeah, I do. He was one of those guys, like you mentioned him, just like uh, that running back at Miami, Cam Davis, where you could go to a camp in like Arkansas and you'd run into Jerry Judy. (laughs) What are you doing here? (laughs) There's nothing going on in Florida. You know, he was just always at something. Yeah, no matter where you were. I mean, you could have been in Pennsylvania, and it would have been that big of a shock to stumble into Jerry Judy running at some scam seven-on-seven camp in Pennsylvania. So we did talk uh, about when we moved him up. We were kind of an outlier, though. Mike, do you remember we were kind of on a limb in terms of ranking Judy as a five-star? Everybody had him as a high four. You know, I mean, I'm not saying that we were the only ones that said, hey, this kid's great. Everybody knew he was really, really good. Um, you know, there was a lot of discussion that year. Um, as far as the kids going to Alabama between Henry Ruggs, and we can segue into Henry Ruggs if you want, you know, and, and Jerry Judy, which one was the better receiver going to, uh, to Alabama that year. So, you know, not really an outlier. Um, an outlier to me is, you know, we had him as five. Someone else has him outside their top 100 or something like that. I think everybody knew he was good. But, um, you know, we went all in on him. Uh, more so than the other receivers in this class. And I think it's going to pan out that way. See, I really liked Ruggs. And I remember he came to the five-star and did not impress you as much. But he did. He had a bad weekend there. Um, but I'd seen him in games, and I liked him. What did we end up ranking him? He's well inside the 100, right? Ruggs? Ruggs was a – you know, he's a high four-star still, but he certainly wasn't anywhere near five-star. And you know what? I remember seeing him, and I was like, this kid ain't fast. It <laughs> <laughs> just shows you what I know. I mean, you know, Leonard no, no, it, does it not just, have breakaway speed, and and Patrick Mahomes is not well, a good draft pick. To be fair to you, and I'll, I'll play well, Mike I kept, I kept bugging you about it. I'm like, where's the separation? He was not separating. He was one of these kids, and this goes both ways sometimes. Where I went and saw him in games, I went and saw him in two games, and he was incredible. And then I'm like, all right, I can't wait for you to see this guy. I can't wait for you to see this guy. Get him to the five-star in front of you, and he just craps the bit. Yeah, he ended 19th at receiver. It was yeah. – I mean, so I talked him up, and then – and I always tell these kids when I'm ranking them, and they're complaining to me about their rankings. I say, hey, man, help me help you. You know, if I bring you in front of Farrell, you have to make me look like the things I've said about you are true. And he just didn't want to get out of bed that day, or I don't know what, and it was over. Yeah, but that's that's fine. So, I mean, we I obviously ranked him. We ranked him too low, and that's on me, for sure. But um, it's not though. It's kind of on him. Like well, he did like, have a bad day. You know, again, but here's the thing. You know, film doesn't lie. We all knew he was a tremendous athlete. You know, we knew he was a track kid. We knew this, that, and the other. He was little. He was little, and he wasn't that yep. fast at that event, which is hilarious. I don't think he was trying. You know, and you know, sometimes sometimes they just don't want to you know sometimes prospects just don't want to get up and and compete or try for whatever reason I mean there's plenty of reasons but uh yeah Ruggs was a guy that I wasn't as high on as as everybody else and they were all three on that seven on seven team Nate Craig Myers Judy Ruggs that scored like one touchdown none of them tried that was it no they they, I mean they quit early too I mean (laughs) they were quitters I mean it midway through the first seven on seven game I remember one of the quarterbacks was Joey Gatewood, who was a he was he was on yeah he was on my team. 
Yeah, he was Same a freshman, freshman though, so he didn't really. I think he was a rising sophomore. He didn't know what he was doing. Who was your other quarterback? I can't remember. I have to go back and look at the photo. It was it was bad, and and they just knew <laughs> that their quarterbacks so were not gonna throw them accurate footballs, and they just gave up halfway through the first game, and and it was the worst performance I've ever seen from a team at the five star challenge, hands down. It was bad. So uh, there was debate, it, it kind of at the time between the various ranking services. It was like you were either Team Judy or Team Ruggs. Uh, Chad, you were ranking Alabama that at that time before you worked at Rivals. Uh, what did you end up doing with Ruggs and Judy when you were trying to sort them out? Hold on, Chad might be on mute. Oh, Sorry, Chad, uh, you, you're on mute for a second. So, so start over. Yeah, we were we, we had them basically in the same group. Neither one ended up a five star for us. Both ended up high four stars. Having Judy above Rugs back then, we thought Judy was much more of a polished, you know, route runner, a more polished, pure receiver. I saw both play live, and I went all in kind of on on Judy when I, I was there at the Friday Night Lights. You were referring to Woody at Florida before his senior season. He he put on a show uh, and just play after play and just quietly, you know, dominated that camp in Gainesville. I saw Ruggs. I started getting film on him before I ever saw football was was basketball, him running the court, throwing down dunks. And, you know, Mike talked about him being small, thin, uh, not not super long, but, man, the explosiveness, you know, his hops, his ups, the way he ran the court uh, made me drive quickly over to Montgomery um, that, that later that week to see him for the first time. But we, we thought Judy was a better – just overall receiver, uh, we had both those guys in the in the top fifty-ish range, but neither were a five-star for us. Yeah, he. Well, and what's weird oh, about Rugs is he was super quiet. Like he he was one of these wide receiver, big-time diva personalities. So that also I think hurt him at camps, like Mike said. Well, usually the fast kids are the loudest, you know, um, and and he definitely wasn't a kid. It was. But you don't have to be flashed. I mean, you just have to separate and make it. Now, he and Judy both were pretty reserved by wide receiver standards, though. Yeah, but Judy, I agree. Judy just dominated everything he went to, and, and Ruggs. Yeah, but he wasn't one of these loud, like, but I don't know. kids. Ruggs, okay. You know, track times are important, and, you know, you got to look at that stuff sometimes. And <clears throat> My bad. So somebody we can celebrate, take a victory lap on, Mike, is C.D. Lamb, even though – you wanted him even higher. Uh, we ranked him in, I think we ranked him in the 75 range. A lot of other people didn't have him in the top 200. Uh, I think Nick was doing the rankings at that time in Texas, but what did you see that you like? Yeah, Nick, Nick was doing the rankings, and, you know, it's a delicate thing where you don't want to step on someone's toes too much. And I liked C.D. Lamb a lot. Um, you know, his body control, his ability, obviously, to – to separate downfield, he was sort of a, a long striding, skinny kid who put up big, big numbers and uh, caught everything that came his way. You know, did, did I see, you know, DeAndre Hopkins? No, we didn't see DeAndre Hopkins in, in high school. So, uh, but I did see a kid that I wrote about immediately after that was just ranked too low. And, and you get that feeling, you know, it comes to you after we lock the rankings, you wake up the next couple of days and you're like, oh, what did I do? You know, Josh Booty is one of them in this class, in the 2020 class. Uh, Garrett Wilson was one last year. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's just like, oh, I, I probably should have pushed 
or should have done something. So I felt CD was, was much higher, uh, but we still had him, I think, higher than most people. Yeah, he was a guy who was a regular at our camps, especially early in his career. Um, Josh, do you remember ever seeing him down there in Dallas or, or anybody else? I mean, I, I'm trying to – I think he went to Houston one year and Dallas another year, both as underclassmen, but I, I wasn't at those camps. Were, were you there, Josh? If, he, if I was, it wasn't one I remember that, that strongly. Okay, yeah. So, I mean, he, he was kind of a guy who, when you look back at the film, I mean, he did really well, but – it, you know, it's it, it's definitely hard, uh, but but we can take a win, Mike. I mean, you take a win. You, you take, <laughs> but he, he was also one of those kids who didn't like the process and was very very invested in his ranking. You know, and and sometimes I don't know, I don't know, that could be a red flag, but with him it wasn't. Yeah, when when I talked to him at the uh, college football awards about his ranking, he was like, I hate rivals. <laughs> <laughs> he, he hates rivals, and rightfully so. We are hateable people. Well, he must hate everybody else even more. We had to bring time with everybody else. Right. That, well, then he was like, I should have come to more of y'all's camps. And then I went and looked, and he came to, like, three camps. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> no, that, that wasn't his fault. It was, uh, well, I'm, you know, it's easy to blame ex-employees, but that's what I'm going to do. Well, we, we still, he's a win for us, even though he's going to be a first-rounder, so it's technically a loss. But no, a four-star going in the first round is a win. Okay. okay. Your audio is Your audio is right now. I think it's, I think am it's, I the one that's echoing? Yeah. Um, all right, moving on. Uh, Justin. Now, Gorney, Gorney, Gorney saw him. Gorney saw CD. Yeah, I saw, him, I saw him in Vegas, and the two things I remember from him is he mossed some kid and then looked at him for about two minutes and then I talked to him afterward, and he was like, "Why are you even approaching me to talk to me?" He was that, you know, it was not uh, <laughs> there. But he was very good in Vegas. He's like, like Mike said, he's this kind of long, bouncy, athletic kid that you could just tell was a pretty special player. But definitely not uh, the most approachable kid out there. Yeah, and but if you called him Sedarian, he would get very, very upset. He would get mad at Sedarian. Yeah, he didn't like that. Yeah, so uh, definitely a dog. I believe De'Ara King was the quarterback on that seven-on-seven team too. Oh wow! Okay, all right. That's a good. That's a pretty good team. All right, so move, now we'll move on to a complete failure. Uh, Justin Jefferson, who was a five-point-two-two star. Uh, Mike and Gorney, you guys wrote about him this week. I think I technically the buck falls with me technically because I think I took over Louisiana midstream, and uh, he was a guy who came to our camp in. Uh, Louisiana he did pretty decent at the camp he was a guy who tested really slow though at other events and I think I might have seen him at LSU's camp uh, Sam do you, do you remember seeing him uh, you were down in Louisiana at that time do you remember uh, following him at the time yeah I covered I covered the whole family um, Justin was doing this Friday night for Destrehan um, they have one of the best offenses in all Louisiana um, he played with John Emery, who was, you know, someone that I covered as well. Um, and LSU loved Jefferson from the moment he stepped on campus. Obviously, they knew about him uh, because of his two older brothers that played at LSU. Uh, that summer, we were both at LSU camp, and it was a famous battle between Justin Jefferson and Amik Robertson. Um, both wound up with LSU offers. Uh, obviously, Amik went to La Tech. Justin had some some great issues, but um, on the field, like despite a you know a four eight forty time, he dominated LSU camp. That was guys like Todd Harris and and Amik that he was beating. So even though the, the the testing numbers weren't there, he still separated. He still caught everything thrown his direction, contested or not. 
Um, and on Friday nights, he was averaging 100 yards and two or three touchdowns a week. So he was productive. And, and from Damian Craig to Mickey Joseph, LSU stayed on him. And this, he, he worked his butt off uh, the, that spring, that summer to get eligible. And right around the end of June, early July, he qualified and LSU took him without, uh, without hesitating. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that, that really happened with him is uh, he had one offer from Nichols State, and I think we assumed – I assumed uh, he was going to sign FCS or so, and we didn't really think about it again. After. Chad, do you remember him at all? I remember him not, not like Sam does, not making plays like that every time. I did see him play one time. Um, I think it was against Edna Carr. I saw him play. I remember Michael Young, I remember, I think with Notre Dame, I believe, kind of made the place that night when I was there. We had him as, like, the lowest of low three stars back in my time for Louisiana. Did not see him as an LSU type of kid for sure. Definitely not a first-rounder that he's grown into. But, um, yeah, I remember him vaguely. Didn't see him a lot in person other than that one time at a game. I think he had a couple of catches, no touchdowns that I recall that night. I remember the, the running back athlete, Michael Young, kind of stole the show when I was there. Uh, in the Destrahan offense. Yeah, I do remember that. Mike, so how, so how, how bad do you feel about this one What would we, when it comes to he gets called in the first round? No, I feel horrible. It's awful. I mean, 5-2 is the lowest we can go, right? So I saw him in New Orleans, though. You remember that? That camp was loaded with wide receivers, and he wasn't one of those guys. Um, you know, so, I mean, what are you going to do? Should he have been at 5-5-3, five, five, you know? Yeah, not any higher than that, though. Um, with the speed issues. So, you know, it's going to look bad, but listen, you know, if he goes on to a great career like Russell Wilson or J.J. Watt, we can talk about him, you know, as one of those two-star misses. Those are suspicious times, though. It might have been the not-caring running times at 4-8 because he ran 4-4-3 at the Combine. So somebody taught him how to run. Well, you know, kids do get faster sometimes when they go off to college, but – I think, you know, the combination of academics and lack of speed got us. And the fact that he was a late addition, I think we just uh, dropped the ball. All right, moving on to the quarterbacks. Let's, let's jump into uh, Justin Herbert. This was a guy we ranked as a three-star, a dude that we never saw. Uh, he was a multi-sport athlete. He was – I think he got hurt maybe between his junior and senior year. So even if we would have seen him at a camp, we didn't. Uh, and and – Oregon just kind of took him and we just viewed it as them taking a local kid. And they were kind of on a string there of, of rough quarterback takes after Marcus Mariota. Gorney, uh, the buck stops with you on this one. What do you remember? I mean, did you just put on the film of him playing in Eugene and figure this is a three-star? Yeah, I mean, that's really, that's really what it came down to. He missed part of his junior season, I think half, with a knee injury. Uh, he was hurt and out for that part. He didn't go to any camps. He didn't play on any seven-on-seven teams that I remember. I mean, there are some seven-on-seven seven 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 that, you know, that go to events, but he wasn't around. Wasn't around. Quiet, kid, Quiet kid, didn't talk a lot, didn't have offers. Looks good on film, had a big-time arm. There's no doubt about that. And it was a big kid that looked good. But, you know, tape can be deceiving sometimes, especially when he's playing competition near Eugene, Oregon. So, you know, this was a thing where he looked good. You put a three-star ranking on him, and then you look like an idiot a few years later um, because he's so good. But, he, you know, he, he wasn't anywhere. He didn't go anywhere. He didn't play any, you know, elite competition. And so this was definitely a miss. 
Yeah, well, you mentioned the seven on seven factor. The the infrastructure that is in Oregon right now at seven on seven and the big team out there, it wasn't there at that time. Do you think if he was coming out now, I mean, he's a quiet, super quiet kid anyway, but don't you think he probably would have been involved and would have seen him more if he was coming through in 2020 instead of 2016? Yeah, it's interesting because now quarterback every quarterback plays seven on seven if they're quiet or loud or whatever but he was a kid who grew up in eugene his family were oregon season ticket holders once he got that offer i you know i, I don't know if he would have been all that interested in traveling up and down the coast playing seven on seven every weekend he just doesn't seem like that type and that has really been kind of the question heading into the draft is is he kind of a locker room leader is he vocal enough to command an nfl team all those kinds of things and you know Really, the question is, is, is he almost too smart and nerdy to, to be an NFL quarterback? I mean, that's really what we're asking. So, um, I don't know. I mean, a lot of, you know, Josh Rosen played seven-on-seven seven every weekend, and he was a pretty big nerdy kid. So, um, it would have been interesting to see if FSP or one of, even one of the Seattle teams or really even one of the California teams kind of went up and snagged him and flew him around every weekend to play because that's kind of how it goes uh, with seven-on-seven seven out here. But – you know, he was a Eugene kid. He wanted to go to Oregon his whole life. Once he got the offer, it was pretty much over. His brother has followed him there now. He's a tight end. Um, so I, I don't know if he would have been really this big-time camp guy and, and flying all around the country to play seven-on-seven seven either. Mike, I mean, I'm sure maybe you took a peek at his film at the time. What Do you, do you remember at all, anything about really? it? Because, I mean, he kind of came out of nowhere. He didn't really have a bunch of offers, and when he committed, we had to rank him. Yeah, he was a tall, skinny awkward looking kid you know put up big numbers it, it, but again the level of competition there's just no way to see um you know it's funny you see these guys now and then you realize you missed on them and then you see the next kid who looks just like him which to me is is jay butterfield um going to the same school and then you're like okay we're not gonna do this twice we're not gonna miss on this kid and then you know that kid probably won't pan out so you can't overreact <laughs> to this stuff you just have to like and I'm not saying Jay Butterfield's career is over he hasn't even played yet but you just can't overreact to that stuff it's, it's yeah, that's I mean, yeah, that's it's, it's, what I always say we had this conversation about somebody put out a study saying you know oh teams don't like tall cornerbacks anymore because all the cornerbacks getting drafted in last year's draft were 510 and it's like that's because there weren't any good tall cornerbacks I mean, I don't, I feel like we jump to trends too much in this industry sometimes where if something happens in one draft, we decide that's the rule going forward, you know, but the rule will change next year when all the quarterbacks or all the corners are 6'2", you know. All right, so. Look at um, Zach Allen is, a, is similar, right? Yeah, but I mean, you know, he bounced around and went to Wyoming, so I mean. But I mean. Josh Allen. Josh Allen. Josh Allen, I'm sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's just one of those things where you just, you know, you don't get enough evaluation of them. You know, I, we never saw Carson Wentz. Um, so, you know, these guys just obviously go into the right system and they mature and, and become, you know, excellent quarterbacks. And, you know, but then you, you, you do look for guys like that. You know, uh, it's just hard to find a quarterback is tough. There's just no doubt about it. it it's just, it's very difficult. All right. Now, next so much about the right situation into it's, it's crazy next up Tua uh Tungavailoa who I affectionately referred to as Tua Star <laughs> when he was in uh high school 
Gorney, we'll start with you. Uh, we saw Tua at a couple different camps. He flew over from Hawaii to come to the Rivals camp, did pretty good at the quarterback challenge, won an award. But, uh, you know, we didn't have him as a five-star. And kind of seeing him, seeing him live and seeing his arm, I don't think any of us were really super enamored, even though we did rank him pretty high. Yeah, the thing that I always loved about Tua was that he made every throw look super easy. And it, he never seemed to struggle at any time. He never really had a bad seven-on-seven seven game. I saw him a ton in seven-on-seven. Seven. He was at a tournament in Vegas, a lot in California, and then he and then he did our camp circuit. I think for two years. Um, so we saw a lot of him. Made all the throws look very, very easy. What what kind of reserved me on Tua was that he didn't really look all that impressive physically. He wasn't that big. He was probably a shade under six feet and. At that time, we were super down on quarterbacks that were, were that short. He was a lefty, which Mike could speak to, which we're not super, super crazy about. Um, you know, and so what we also didn't want to do is just say, you know, any quarterback from Hawaii who, after Marcus Mariota, needs to be a five-star quarterback without question. So there were some reservations. Probably we overthought it a little bit too much. Um, but he was a kid that – really in college made himself look much more athletic than he did in high school because he wasn't this physically gifted quarterback in high school. You could take a look at the pictures, but every throw, you know, short, middle, deep looked great. And he always looked like that. So, you know, he was, I, I think our third dual threat quarterback in that class. I would kill to re redo that and make him at least second. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to mention the name of who's number two. Um, but, but, in, in our defense, he, he was not this surefire five-star looking quarterback like a Trevor Lawrence or somebody else. But he did finish as a number 53 player in that class. And I think he was a guy that the more we watched him, the more we appreciated what he brought to the table. Because like you said, first impressions, not overwhelming. He's no Tate Martell there. Is he, is he Adam Corning? I, I said don't uh, mention <laughs> He was a guy that the more you watch just the little things that he did well, the way he was able to feel the pocket, step up, make throws, keep his eyes downfield, the more we watched him, the more we appreciated, you know, what he brought to the table. Mike, when it came down to it at the end there, uh, I don't remember there being a heavy debate. I remember you talking we talked a lot about Tate and you Tate was one of those guys that was giving you nightmares about whether you're going to be right or wrong on so do you remember the final discussion on Tua yeah I think I think Borny brainwashed me on Tate um I tried guys I tried he freaking oh, wore me okay. down he okay. just did and then I started buying into the Kool-Aid you know drinking the Kool-Aid and and Tua you know listen I, everybody knows I'm not a big lefty quarterback fan um I think it's just historical you know, the last really good one as far as a passer was Steve Young. And I guess, you know, you could say Mark Brunel and Michael Vick and those guys had success, but, you know, different levels. Um, the ball comes off usually a little bit odd, but he, he had a really good throwing motion for a, for a lefty. And um, I just think he didn't overwhelm you with his physical skills. And I think he went into the right situation with the right receivers and the right offensive line and the right running backs. And, and I think at Alabama, he, he killed it. I don't think he's a guy who would take a team on his shoulders that didn't have that much talent, which is why, you know, with the injuries, I'm really confused as to why he's going to be a top five pick. 
So that was one of the things that, that I remember us talking about was it, at the time, you mentioned Marcus Mariota Gorney. Wasn't the Oregon coaching staff like down on him at the time and, and was kind of telling anybody who would listen that, that he wasn't a priority for them? Tua? Yeah. Yeah, Tua at first wanted to go to Oregon. He was kind of following in Mariota's footsteps. He really liked the offense there. And then they kind of – I don't know if cold is the right word on him, but uh, didn't come after him as much. And so it became a USC-Alabama battle. And USC really, really wanted him. They loved him. Um, and it looked like it, the, the feeling was that USC was going to win out. Then he takes that visit to Alabama, had an outstanding time. They took him to church there. The, the outside of football was super important to him and still is. And so I think that's going to be a factor, too. Um, but, you know, as we go into this draft, too, there, there are all those questions about, you know, does he have that dog mentality? Could he make it in the SEC? And, you know, he is an interesting personality because he's laid back like a lot of Hawaiian kids are, but super competitive once he steps on the field. So it was definitely an interesting pick because for a long time, Alabama was really not in the picture. It felt like a USC-Oregon battle. Then it felt like a USC-Alabama battle with USC leading. And then he ended up at Alabama, which was a perfect situation for him. I mean, USC has had some good receivers over the last few years, but, um, you know, nothing like Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, Devontae Smith, the offensive line that he's played behind, he would have never found at USC. He would have been running for his life like Sam Darnold did. And then the running backs that they've had at Alabama. So it was a, a perfect situation for him. All right. Another guy that we can take a victory lap on, Jeffrey Okuda. Uh, we did rank him as a five-star. I pretty much think he was a five-star from, from the get-go. But, Mike, we viewed him as a safety, and we ranked him as a safety. And I think he used to argue with us about it. So tell us about that. Oh, Mike's on mute. Yeah, he started off as a safety, and we never changed him. You know, I, I think about him, you know, and, and, and Minka Fitzpatrick being sort of similar guys. Um, could play safety, could play corner. Uh, sort of Swiss Army knife type of guys, very athletic, good size, very fluid. We moved Fitzpatrick to safety from corner, um, and he's sort of that hybrid guy. I think Okuda could do either at the NFL level, but he's really been excellent in, in solo coverage. But the thing that stood out to me is when we saw him at camps, you know, usually safeties struggle in the one-on-ones, and he did not struggle at all. Um, he covered like a corner. And I think that's what you're remembering is that we kept bringing up that this kid is a safety who covers like a corner. He's elite. He's special. Um, probably could have moved him to cornerback, but I, I don't care either way. I mean, I think he's going to be a tremendous defensive back and clearly the best one in this draft. And, you know, we have the film of him going against C.D. Lamb. Um, you know, we saw him at the, the five-star and just a kid that was very, very instinctual and fluid uh, on an island uh, with a safety body. I think he was on that same seven-on-seven seven team with uh, – so there was a seven-on-seven seven team that had Henry Ruggs, Jerry Judy, and Jeffrey Okuda, and they couldn't win a – they couldn't win a game. They, they lost um, every game by, like, 30 points. They scored one touchdown in four yeah, games. Horrible. Man. It was horrible. Uh, Joey Gatewood, man, that, Nate Craig Myers, jeez. Well, Nate Craig Myers got hurt, but 
No, he got fake hurt. See, that's what happened. I remember this well because I drafted this piece of crap. Nate Myers, that's that was the linchpin. Nate Myers got fake injured, and then everybody else quit. In, in the fake injured. So, well, anyway, Mike, we saw him. You, we saw the progression. I mean, this was a guy who was at everything. I think he went to, he went to Future Fifty. He came to the under. He came to our camp. He came to two five star challenges. Was this as a, a slam dunk as it gets when you were talking about evaluating a DB? Yeah, and he was, you know, a super focused kid, super nice kid. Um, you know, knew what he wanted. Uh, you know, went to Ohio State because he felt that that was where he was going to develop the most and, and where they give him a shot at playing corner. And if that didn't work out, he moved to safety. But, you know, just really a no-brainer. I mean, I don't know if there's anything to brag about because he was so good. Everybody here, you know, that was at that five-star challenge, you know, his first one, because I, I remember he was there as an underclassman, um, was just like, yeah, this kid's a special talent. So it wasn't like we saw a diamond in the rough. He was just really, really good. All right, let's move on to Tristan Wirfs, the offensive lineman from, I from the University of Iowa. Uh, Josh, this was your eval, a guy we ranked pretty high. Was, if I remember, was pretty raw, but was always a good athlete. So what do you remember about Tristan? We actually started him really low. He was a low three-star on our first evaluation of him. Watching him on film, he was a light puncher. I mean, you look at an offensive tackle going to Iowa, you expect a mauler, and that was not what we saw out of Tristan Wirfs. And there were a lot of other people in the state who had a higher opinion of him than I did early on and kept saying, hey, this is a guy to keep watching. He's an outstanding uh, thrower and track and field. I believe he was state champion, multi-state champion. So an athletic kid, but he didn't really move up to where we where he finished until after his his Army Bowl performance, All American Bowl performance. Uh, he was a guy that, again, we talked about with Tua. You had to kind of watch and, and, and appreciate. I think that was the same way with Works. You know, what I saw initially of him was not really that impressive, and his initial rating reflected that. The more we watched him, the more we came to appreciate his skill set and, and his potential, really, uh, because it was a potential thing with, with Tristan Wirfs, and he filled, fulfilled that potential. Uh, Gorney, do you remember him from that year at, at Army? I mean, that was a, you know, if you, look, if you go back and look at the rosters, I mean, he was battling Derek Brown and, a, and Chase Young and a few others. Yeah, I, I, honestly, I don't. I don't remember him all that much. Not a guy that I was like, wow, this is – Definitely someone that we need to move up in the rankings. So not much help with Tristan. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's, let's stay on offensive linemen. I kind of want to run through some of these guys relatively quickly. Andrew Thomas uh, from Georgia. Chad, we can start with you on him. You and I can kind of go back and forth. Uh, we ranked him as a four-star. He moved kind of up and down for us. Uh, mainly uh, my concern was how was the old dog factor. I just wondered how much he, he really wanted it. But I remember him being a super athlete who kind of played both ways in high school. So, so what, what do you remember uh, about him, Chad? Yeah, I remember exactly feeling the same way, Woody. I mean, uh, I think we had him in the like in that 45 range uh, where he finished for, for me where I was at in, in that time. Uh, and I, I kind of said the same. I mean, I took a lot of heat from people around him when I did kind of like my final eval, calling him more of a, a finesse offensive lineman, not near the dog that I saw on his teammate at that time, Jamari Sawyer. 
uh, just a, didn't finish his block. You know, wasn't the most athletic, but fundamentally sound. But at the same time, I would defend him a little bit in that same article by saying he played both ways. He played for a, a private school, Pace Academy, and won a state championship. He played D-line, offensive line all the time for four quarters. So um, yeah, he was good. He was very smart, fundamentally sound. Um, didn't really blow me away in any phase of his game, but had a great frame. He worked hard, uh, just, just a strong overall player. Um, I think a lot of what we see now, I think he still – he had a very good career uh, at Georgia. Obviously, he'll be a first-round guy, but I think there's still questions and concerns about his athleticism, how he moves on his feet, his balance a little bit. Uh, but, yeah, I, I, I didn't see that, that, as you said, Woody, that dog, that toughness, that finishing attitude in Thomas. He was a guy that was around a lot too, especially from early on in his uh, in his career. We saw him as a freshman, I think, at the Rivals camp. But he was always at events, and I wonder if we might have just evaluated him a little bit too much. Do you think maybe we saw too much of him or knew too much of him? You know, I, I would say no. I mean, I, I still feel good about where he was ranked. I mean, to me, when I compare guys like my top O tackles, I mean, to me, he's not even close to a Laramie Tunzel type. When I evaluated, you know. O-line and offensive tackles. So, I mean, Laramie was, to me, was one of my, maybe my top O-line, O-tackle I've ever covered, I would say, uh, from an athletic standpoint to a projection standpoint. Uh, I didn't see that in Andrew Thomas. Now, will Andrew have a better career? Who knows, in the NFL, than Laramie. But uh, I, don't, I wouldn't say we over-evaluated, in my opinion. I, I still feel good about where he was ranked. Again, top 50 player in the country uh, overall. Uh, that, that's a pretty high ranking. Yeah, I think we, I think I had 88. Mike, you never saw him, right? You never saw him. No, I saw him. Oh, you did, okay. Yeah, I think he was, is this me with the echo? No, we got it. So coming on chat sometime. It's, I think he's a victim of Jamari Sawyer. I think when they would show up to camps together, Sawyer would put everybody on the ground and finish every block and kill people. And Thomas was more of a finesse guy. And, you know, I remember you specifically stating that you were worried about the dog factor in him and how aggressive he was. And, uh, you know, it was a surprise to me that he played as a true freshman, you know, because I didn't think physically he was he was ready for that. Um, you know, so he's had a great career at Georgia, but uh, he, he just wasn't a guy that, that struck you as a, as a mean physical kid as an offensive lineman and got more by on, on his footwork and things like that. But uh, begrudgingly, he kept moving up the rankings. And I say begrudgingly because I know you you weren't a big fan of, of his. And every time he would move up, you'd be like, oh, you need the dog factor. And, and, you know, we'll see how he pans out. I mean, he's really good at run blocking. Pass pro is a little bit of an issue now. Uh, and that, that could be an issue in the NFL. All right, uh, moving on to the next one. I'm gonna take I'm gonna take a win on this one, and that's Jedrick Wills. Yeah. Mike, I think you and I kind of ran the the Jedrick fan club. We saw him as an underclassman. He was really he's kind of out of shape. He didn't he didn't look like anything, but he just was so technically sound. So we yeah we we had him basically. I think we made him a five star after we saw him at the under as an underclassman at the five star challenge, right? Yeah, I mean, this is a kid, when you looked at him, you're like, okay, guard, uh, road grader, uh, out of shape. And then you watch him play tackle, and his reset was one of the best I've seen in the last probably 10 years. 
Um, his feet were just so elite, and there was just no one who could get past him. It didn't matter. You could counter, you could, you know, whatever your first move was, he was ready for you, and then your counter, he was ready for you as well. He just dominated people that first year and then the second year as well. So he was a complete no-brainer. Uh, but I swear, if you lined up 10 offensive linemen and didn't look at film and didn't watch them compete and said, which one is the five-star? He'd be the last kid he would have picked. Yeah, for sure. And he was a guy that he did, though, transform physically. I mean, if you looked at him from the first time we saw him heading into his junior year to uh, the Under Armour game when he was a senior, I mean, it totally different. I mean, just a physical transformation uh, and a guy that looked totally different. And uh, we were out on a limb, right? I think we were the only ones that ranked him as a five-star. Yeah, and, and I think a lot of people might have thought to move him to guard or, or start him at guard or, you know, project him at guard. So, you know, he, he's one of those that you definitely have to see to appreciate um, because I was skeptical. I mean, the first time I saw him, I'm like, really? And then, I, you know, so you see him and, and you see how technically sound he is and how great he was. But I just – it's hard to describe how well he worked off of – contact and, and, the, and the second move of somebody. I, I've never seen him flat-footed. I've never seen him just whiff. And, and, and that's impressive for a guy who, you know, not only plays, uh, you know, at, at, at the SEC level, but I, I just think he's a plug-in guy at the NFL level and a, a 10 to 12-year, you know, pro bowler. All right. Uh, next up, uh, another former five-star, Derek Brown. Um, we can start with, I guess we'll start with Chad. We'll start with Chad because we saw him kind of grow up. I'm kind of grow up. Really curious to talk about Yeah, I think it was pretty evident. You know, he was uh, an athletic big guy. You know, the biggest thing I remember about Derek is, you know, my only real hesitation or questions was that he did take plays off. You know, he wanted to take over a game. He could dominate and truly become that game changer. I don't know if he ever, you know, got bored because of the success he had. And, uh, but he really put, you know, Lanier high school on the map, which is just a few miles down the road from the powerful program, Buford high school here in Georgia. Uh, and I remember him getting upset with me back in the day because his profile said Lanier high school in Buford, Georgia, it should have been Sugar Hill, Georgia. He got mad because we're calling him Buford. Uh, but he, he was an elite talent. You know, I thought he was a little bit soft, you know, as far as, just strength, uh, but man, when he wanted to dominate, he could really change a game, and really the same way he did at Auburn the last couple of years, and I, I'm not surprised at all. He was, a, I think, a fairly easy call for a five-star defensive tackle. I think he broke a lot of hearts when he announced on signing day he was going to Auburn, not staying home and going to Georgia. He had Georgia thinking they were going to land him uh, and went to Auburn on signing day, but uh, a great gift for Rodney Garner and what he does as far as D-line development. But, but a nimble kid athletically, you know, moved well laterally, quick off the ball, very disruptive, wasn't just good against the run, but get penetration and rush the passer as well. So I think one of the most balanced guys, if he plays consistently with that energy level, he can be a great in the NFL too. Yeah, Mike, he kind of took off like a, like a rocket. I mean, we saw him, I think Chad and I were probably both at the same event. We saw him in this weird like soccer stadium uh, workout when he was like a sophomore. Uh, and then he came to the regional camp, did well, and then next thing you know, uh, he's in at the five-star challenge. But I do remember there being a little bit of debate because 
sometimes he wouldn't be super impressive. Like Chad said, he'd maybe take plays off. And even at camps, he would struggle sometimes as a pass rusher. Yeah, he was a potential guy for sure. You know, he was built the way you want him. Every once in a while, he could shoot the gap. Uh, you know, but he also could get stoned and give up. You know, um, I think he was a guy that got frustrated pretty easily when he was young, uh, when someone, you know, did stop him or, or, you know, gave him a good battle. Um, but, you know, we kept waiting for that, you know, potential number one player in the country. Cause I remember early on, we were talking about him as, as one of the top five players in the country and, uh, it, we just never saw it consistently, but, um, he was definitely potential wise, one of those guys you just definitely got to give five stars to and see if he pans out. And he's had one of the best college careers of a defensive tackle you're ever going to see. And I think if there's, you know, one kid in this draft that people are overlooking, that's a no, no brainer. Can't miss kid. It's Derek Brown. So Mike, uh, he was a very athletic. I mean, he was a, when, when Chad and I first met him, he was a basketball player too. Um, and he's always been like a freak athlete at his size. What do you think happened with his testing at the combine though? He didn't, I mean, because we know he did have a tendency to maybe put on a little bit of weight. Do you think maybe that happened ahead of the combine? Because his numbers were not great. Yeah, I mean, well, he also is a massive kid. You know, I mean, when you look at – when you compare him to, like, a Christian Wilkins, uh, you know, or a Dexter Lawrence, he's, he's not as light-footed as those guys are. Um, you know, but he's more dominant physically than those guys are. So I, I think he's a good athlete who just grew into a big physical football player who could play a four, uh, you know, have a three technique or a zero technique at the NFL level and just isn't going to wow you with the testing. I didn't expect him to test well, um, like off the charts well, uh, but film-wise, there's just no comparison. I, I know Kim Law is a great athlete, a defensive tackle, but Derek Brown is far and away the number one guy. All right, uh, moving on. Now, this is a guy that's a, a little controversial for us. So Isaiah Simmons, uh, he was a three-star uh, recruit. He was from uh, Kansas, and he, he kind of emerged late on the scene. Josh, we saw him at that camp uh, in O'Fallon, famously. And you look back at the video now, and he was awesome, but we were kind of projecting him as a safety at that time, and a, he didn't have a ton of interest. Clemson came along kind of late. So what do you remember about him? We can't talk about AJ Epinesa or Cole Komet. I got tons of games. No, but not at the top. Uh, Isaiah Simmons, rated as a high three star. And that 5 7 territory, that's a guy who's not going to surprise us if he gets to the NFL. You know, we expect him to get a good look at the NFL, but we're not talking about projecting him to be a first rounder. That's a miss. Isaiah Simmons, I'll tell you exactly what went into his evaluation. He was a safety out of Olathe, Kansas. Uh, Kansas City area kid. We saw him. I mean, we had him. He was at a rivals camp. Uh, we had eyes on with him. There were two big things that were a question mark with him. One was he was not very physical for the linebacker position. And so we didn't really see him kicking down there. Or if he did, we had some questions about how he was going to hold up at, you know, point of attack, those types of things. The other thing was as a safety, he was a little stiff. So he's in that tweener body and ultimately he ends up developing, uh, I think really the stiffness aspect that we were rare, you know, we definitely saw out of him in high school was able to be worked out. He was able to become a more fluid, more flexible, more athletic uh, kid. And, and obviously 
the clear number one linebacker in this class. Uh, Mike, we seem to be getting, uh, there's a, a lot of these guys we're getting punished on uh, are these safeties who we thought were kind of linebackers and they told us they were safeties. Do you think that's just the uh, result of the way the NFL's changed maybe in the last three or four years with offenses? Yeah, I think that, you know, a kid like this is obviously, he would have been a high draft pick 10 years ago. But, um, you know, the way the NFL is, they want guys that can cover more than ever. And, you know, when you have a guy at safety who drops down the linebacker and has those coverage skills and he's 6'4", 235, and can run like a deer and, and play so many positions. I mean, he can blitz off the edge. Um, you know, he, he can support the run. Uh, he can drop into pass coverage. He's got good ball skills. I mean, that type of do-everything guy uh, is always wanted at the NFL level, but more so now than ever. And, you know, Simmons was a guy that sometimes you think, okay, he's, he's versatile enough to play linebacker or safety, so that should be a plus. And I think sometimes that's a negative in our evaluations because we can't predict the future. We just don't know how big they're going to get. Um, and that's what I saw with Simmons is, you know, what's it going to be? Um, now, looking at it today, maybe we look at guys that are betweeners between safety and linebacker and, and, and grade them higher. But it's so hard when they're playing one position. I mean, Luke Keekley played safety in, in high school and obviously became one of the best linebackers in the NFL and, and in college football. There's just no way to see that. Um, they're playing so far off the ball, and, and there's just no way to see those instincts. So I don't know. I, I, I can't figure out those tweeners. I, I, I don't do well with tweeners. It's a myth, and, and it was because, you know, from, from this standpoint, we when we looked at him as a linebacker, we had questions about his physicality, whether he was going to be able to hold up at that. We looked at him as a safety. We had questions about his fluidity and his agility. And we didn't see the player he ultimately became. So at the end, I mean, this is this is now. I'll take the L. It's uh, he's obviously exceeded uh, the expectations we had. All right, uh, moving on. Makai Becton. This is a guy that we had at the rivals camp. I remember him uh, winning MVP. Probably weighed 370 pounds or something at the time. Uh, Friedman, you could talk about him. He was a three-star when he won that MVP at the camp, correct? And we moved him up after that? Yeah, that's right. That's right. We loved him, too. He did a great job at the camp. He was putting guys on their backs. Uh, he was just a little bit slower out of his stance than we would have liked for one of those top 100 guys, um, you know, in the rankings process. But he was long, he was strong, and, and did a really good job with his feet. Like you said, though, being about 370-some-odd pounds at the time, or looked like it at least, uh, he was still really impressive. But we just didn't understand that he was going to get that type of early playing time at Louisville and um, really blossom from there, uh, you know, and through a coaching change, too. I mean, kudos to him for showing that work ethic and, and staying focused there. But um, just that was a hard projection to, to move him up even further in the rivals 250 but um it was still really impressive to see what he was able to what he was able to do in the camp setting uh, when you turn on the game film uh, he was a great run blocker and um, now when you see some of those clips out of louisville you know as a pass blocker even he's throwing guys around so uh, just a really impressive progression from him at the college level uh mike this is an example about rob, what rob was talking about earlier 
It was just like last year that it was like, oh, the NFL doesn't like – none of these linemen drafted were 300-pounders in high school. Well, I mean, Becton was almost like a 400-pounder. So do, do you remember seeing – were you at that camp with us? Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, Evan Neal is the next one, you know, who's a 380-pound kid in high school and, you know, lost some weight throughout the process. Becton never did. Becton just was 370 pounds, 365, and just stayed there. Um, but there's – you know, again, we saw – a lump of clay, you know, this is a big kid, but we also felt he had to lose 30, 40 pounds to be successful at the next level. And we were wrong about that because he didn't have to. But I, I really think the early playing time is, is key for both me and Andrew Thomas. You're either going to be thrown into the water and you're going to drown or you're going to swim. And, and, and I think, you know, the guys that do the best um, as a freshman build that confidence and, and then they just take it to the next level and the next level. Um, and Becton is one of those guys. So I, I would take Wills first, but Becton's probably going to go first just because you can't teach what is he, 370 and he ran a 5-0. Right. Not that that matters. You know, and you're not going to run 40 yards as an offensive lineman, but he's just so athletic for a big kid. The big ticket. The, he's got himself. the film from Louisville where he's running downfield on screen passes, putting, you know, guys on their back, defensive backs uh, on their backs too. So he can run. And, and just for the record, we did have him listed 6'7", 340 on his uh, profile coming out of high school, which is, you know, probably about 15, 20 pounds light. But, um, you know, the guys over from his high school still talk about, you know, that performance at the Rivals camp. And, um, you know, we were glad to get, get some eyes on him early there. Uh, all right, let's uh, move on. Rob, this one for you. C.J. Uh, Henderson, uh, defensive back, who we finished as a four-star, but I don't remember us seeing a ton of him. He, he was another one of those guys who didn't do a whole lot of talking, which is, is odd given, you know, the, the landscape there. So what do, you, what do you remember about him other than that year he kind of really came to the Under Armour game and impressed us all? We didn't see him a ton. I think I saw him one time in high school. Uh, and he was playing both ways. Uh, I remember him playing wide receiver and DB, but nobody really threw his way. There wasn't a lot of, you know, by the time I got to Florida, he was already kind of established as a dude on his high school team. You know how that goes. If you're not on an elite team, they throw away from you. So it's kind of limited what you could see. He didn't play a lot of seven-on-seven. Seven. I think he did play seven-on-seven, seven, but he wasn't, you know, he was one of those guys that was on a different team every week at the different events and couldn't really figure out where he was. We always liked his length. Uh, we always liked his ball skills. I didn't know what position he was going to play until very late in the process, I remember. I think there was still talk of him being a wide receiver by the time he was halfway through his senior year. Uh, so the debate we had is where do we like him more? I think finally everybody started recruiting him as DB, uh, and that was kind of where we settled. I would have obviously liked to go back and rank him higher. It is a miss. I don't think it's a miss. It's not like I made him a three-star. Uh, where did he finish? A four-star in the back of the 250 or something? Yeah, 226. Yeah, I mean, it could have been worse, could have been better. Uh, I think if I could have it back, obviously I'd rank him higher. But he wasn't one that we were exposed to as much as some of these other kids in South Florida. Uh, Mike, you were there at the Under Armour game that year when we moved him up, and you you liked him, didn't you? I did. I liked him a lot. He's, he's a very smooth kid. And I, I think – I'm not sure. I think that was the same year Christian Fulton was there, and I didn't really like Christian Fulton that much um, compared to – Henderson. Henderson really closed on the football much better. Uh, he was a skinny kid, but he definitely had length, and he was really aggressive. And, you know, a, a kid who didn't take any plays off in practice, you know, really was there for 
as they call it, a business trip. Um, and I think that's why he pushed into the 250 at the end because, you know, against the lead guys, I remember Jalen Rager and some of the other receivers he would go against were um, pretty talented guys and he held his own. Um, all right, guys, anybody else we really, I mean, we, there's a plenty more names we can touch on. Uh, anybody else you guys really want to talk about before we wrap up? Are we talking about Cam Akers? Uh, okay, all right. So, so Cam's probably uh, not going to go in the first round. I don't know where he's going. Yeah, he's like second or third round guy. All right, so we had him as a five-star. He was in the conversation for number one overall. I, I, I still, okay. I still insist that he's going to be a good NFL player. I think he got dealt a bad situation. <laughs> I mean, I, I just can't imagine having seen this kid in games, and how, we can call him the Rob Cassidy sleeper pick of the draft if you want. Having seen this kid in games, and having seen him play running back and quarterback, and then having to go and play behind whatever that was that Florida State had an offensive line for the last three years really kind of hurt him. I still believe in this kid. I, I still believe he was the best running back in that class. No, 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 no. Najee Harris was the best running back in the class. I know. I, see, I, still, right. I still disagree with this statement. Najee this Harris day. is going to be a first next Cam year, and he will be drafted higher than Cam Akers. So the argument when Cam started well, he's going to be drafted Najee higher than City. Cam Akers. They didn't make Najee Harris play behind Willie Taggart's offensive line. <laughs> he's going to be drafted higher. When, when I just Cam think that Cam Akers will be a better early, NFL player. All we heard from Rob was, I told you, I told you. I told you. And Najee was like, we're waiting for him to – there wasn't a transfer portal at the time, but we're waiting for him to hit the portal because he's not playing. And, you know, just Rob was very, very uh, annoying. I took a victory uh, lap. Too early. The, the question is, is, if Cam Akers kept that Alabama commitment that he had, would he have – would he be yeah, a sure player for a yes. yes. He's, he's running behind the Harris, Alabama offensive line. He's still not as athletic as Najee Harris. No. If you put – if you put – if you switch them places – I, I don't know. I think that we're having a very different conversation right now because we're talking about Cam Akers going in the top in the first round for sure. I think if you switched in places, Najee would have been out of Tallahassee in 18 months and would be somewhere else <laughs> going into the draft. That's, that's what I think. Uh, all right, anybody else you guys want to talk about? There's one guy I think is one of the most interesting guys in this draft, and he probably slips into the back end of uh, the first round. That's Zach Vaughn out of Wisconsin. This is another guy that uh, Wisconsin, you know, Ryan Ramchick, remember him? Talked about J.J. Watt. Neither of those guys didn't offer. They didn't offer J.J. Watt out of high school. He went to Central Michigan, transferred in as a walk-on. Uh, Ryan Ramchick went to the University of Wisconsin out of high school, the University of Wisconsin Stevens Point, and then ultimately came over like as a as a late grad transfer. Zach Vaughn was a guy who played quarterback in high school. Wisconsin didn't offer him until his senior year. His only other offer was an FCS offer from South Dakota State. He moves over to linebacker and becomes, uh, you know, one of the, the top defensive players in this draft. I just think he's, uh, you know, a really interesting story because it's on that same story arc of players at Wisconsin and what Wisconsin does in terms of developing talent that obviously nobody really saw. And, and I, I, honestly, they didn't really see in a lot of these games. Yeah, they, you want to let Friedman brag about DeAndre Swift? <laughs> I'm going to – hey, I was going to let the Georgia guys kind of take credit for that. Uh, they loved him early in the process. I loved him early in the process too. And, you know, he, he came to our camps. He did well at our camps. And, you know, we liked what we saw from him, um, you know, but – 
at the time we were a little higher on those other running backs and um, he kind of got lost in the shuffle a little bit because he's not the biggest guy he's not the fastest guy but he produced at a high high level and um, you know being able to be in a rotation at Georgia like he was I think really helped him in college uh, but yeah I was a, I was a big DeAndre Swift fan at the high school level uh, I kept asking you guys about him seeing what you what you guys thought about him but uh, I guess he he didn't uh, do enough for you guys to, you, to make him you weren't at uh, that five star. challenge right when it was Akers and Harris and Swift I wasn't there that year I had and his a, a dad wedding. wanted to like put me in a headlock and because I kept writing about there was a fourth running back in that group too. Stephen Carr I think yeah Stephen Ooh. Carr yeah, and we kept writing about um, uh, Cam Akers, and we didn't write enough about Swift. And his dad's jacked. I mean, he's a very But if, if you saw uh, Elijah Judy's dad when he just committed to Georgia a few minutes ago, he's even bigger than uh, DeAndre Swift's dad, so I wouldn't get in a fight with either one of those guys. But um, the two of them, upset. yeah, DeAndre I wouldn't, I wouldn't mess own, with either one of them. Held his own. For sure. Well, he was the highest ranked four star. You know, he was just one shy of that fifth star. And, and that was me who held him back from there. So I think uh, another Georgia running back in the past was the highest ranked four star. Um, yeah. Yeah. Guess what? He went in the second round. Exactly where he was ranked. That's right. That's right. Um, well, Todd Gurley was also a high. All right. That's a spot for Georgia running backs. We know the ones that we put as fives. I mean, Sony Michelle was a first rounder, so that worked out well. But, you know, I think the only person on this Zoom call that believes Kendall Milton's a five star is uh, that West Coast guy. So we'll I think Jordan has out. a pretty good track record at the position. I'll take my chances. Uh, their track record is better with four stars than there with five stars, That's I guess. True. So. That's true. I'd also like to point out, and I don't know if we want to talk about it or not, but the last three number one picks will all be transfer quarterbacks. And if somehow Justin Fields moves up to number one next year, which is at least a small possibility, that will be four years in a row. Hey, not too bad for Tate Martell either, man. He could be. I know. I'm saying it. I'm holding out hope here. Next year will be the uh, next year will be the, uh, the the Tate Martell and Kellen Mond draft. So um, <laughs> one and two, respectively. All right. Well, that wraps it up for us. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed listening or watching or whatever. I think we're going to put this on some podcast feeds as well. Uh, stay locked in rivals.com. We got a ton of draft coverage uh, this week. And of course, during the draft throughout the weekend from, from the whole team. So uh, everybody, thanks for, for joining and uh, hopefully we can do this again. Hopefully, bye. All right. Bye guys.